Hey there. Ever feel like you just need a break from the day-to-day of work, put on that out of office and be alongside peers learning from fellow nonprofits and industry experts on what they see working when it comes to fundraising, marketing, growing a monthly giving program, retention, everything that encompasses what you do? Well, if so, I have two events for you to mark down. June 4th and 5th is Donor Perfect's Community Conference Spark. It is for any fundraiser wanting to excel in donor management, program innovation, community engagement, and organizational growth, and it is free. So click the link in the show notes to register. And then an event that I have attended three years in a row is the NEO Summit, combining practical, actionable, and very data-informed content with also this really electric and immersive atmosphere. The NEO Summit is more than just a conference. It is a really fun and great place to get away from your desk and innovate your fundraising and accelerate your impact. So you can join hundreds of your fellow nonprofit professionals in Indianapolis in September on the 18th and 19th. And you can save $600 on your ticket right here. It is the lowest price available anywhere. So click the link in the show notes for both of these events. They are incredible. They put on an incredible speaker presentation, all tons of great resources for you. Invest in yourself and the growth of your organization by attending these two phenomenal events. Don't disregard people because of the fear of the five. And the fear of the five is only 5% of fundraising is making the ask. Out of a board of 21, I think I had like maybe two or three fearless women who are not afraid to ask for money. Hey there, you're listening to the Missions to Movements podcast, and I'm your host, Dana Snyder, digital strategist for nonprofits and founder and CEO of Positive Equation. This show highlights the digital strategies of organizations making a positive impact in the world. Ready to learn the latest trends, actionable tips, and the real stories from behind the feed? Let's transform your mission into a movement. Hey, hey, the conversation that you're about to hear with Sabrina was previously recorded on a LinkedIn and YouTube Live. So you might hear some interaction between us and questions going on in a live chat conversation, but this conversation was so good. I wanted to make sure that you had the opportunity to listen in as well. So here we go. Enjoy. We have an incredible guest joining us today, Sabrina Walker Hernandez. She is a certified consultant, coach, and facilitator. She works with small nonprofit staff and boards to really build relationships that convert into what do we like? More gifts and donations. And she's been in the space for 25 years on nonprofit management, fundraising, and leadership. Listen to this success metric. She increased operational revenue from 750,000 to 2.5 million and completed a 12 million comprehensive capital campaign in the third poorest county in the United States. That's amazing. And she has facilitated, which I just talked to her a little bit about, numerous workshops with hundreds of nonprofit professionals. She is certified in nonprofit management from the one and only Harvard Business School. And she's an active community leader and volunteer. What's up, Sabrina? 
Hello, hello, hello. How are you doing? I'm doing so good. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so happy to be here. So this is like my wheelhouse. Girl, I like to get my opinions on things. So this is is where I'm at. (laughs) And this is so like nonprofit management, engaging a board is something that I don't know a lot about. So I'm going to be like, tell me more. (laughs) (laughs) Got it. I'm leaning in hard to the conversation. So so I'm going to kind of like jump right in. And before we talk too much about board management, your background as the CEO, as the chief executive officer, was so impressive in those accomplishments. Thank you. <laughs> a lot of work. <laughs> a lot of work. So my first question is, what do you think were like the key components or things that you did there that really helped allow that impact to happen? Well, I think that focusing on building relationships and also focusing on really the donor centric process helped me. I think my superpower is building relationships. And so once you have those relationships, then if you really focus and make it about the donor or the board member or whoever it is you're trying to engage, it made the process easier. That's awesome. Was that something that was learned over time? Did you see like something pivot? Because how many years were you a CEO of that organization? So I was with the organization for over 20 years and I was a CEO for 15 of those 20 years. Yeah. So I moved up in the organization. So I came in actually working in direct services. So I worked with first time juvenile offenders. And then I was operations for five years where I trained under the CEO who had been there for 30 years. And then I became the CEO. And I didn't even realize that building relationships was my superpower until a donor told me that it was. (laughs) I just thought, you know, I get along with people pretty well. (laughs) And and he's like, no, that's your superpower. And it's a really good thing that you should lean into. And when he told me that, I was like, oh, okay. And so, you know, as I went through my organization and I strongly believe in professional development. So, you know, you Mm -hmm. go to different conferences and you pick up different tidbits here and there that really enhance what you also bring to the table. And if you have a weakness, it helps you kind of build upon that weakness. So it was, here's your core of what you do naturally. And now getting through professional development, how do we build upon that? I love that. That leads so well into one of my other questions with regarding boards Something that I've been learning a lot about, we were just talking beforehand that I worked for a nonprofit a while ago and I wasn't as involved in the nitty gritty and like the politics and understanding the true role that comes with a board. But boards help create most of the time, right? The annual budgets. Yes, boards help create the annual budget. And as I was sharing with you, you know, when I first started out, I had a board of about 12 and I grew it to 21. I love boards. Let me just start there. A lot of people, that's not their happy place. It actually is my happy place. I love working with boards. And sometimes you have to be very intentional about getting your board involved. As I share with you, my board was like, oh, girl, you got this, you know, They were one of those. If you would let them not be involved, it could easily happen, right? And so I had to be very intentional about getting them involved. And so using committee, the committee structure was really pivotal for me. I had a finance committee and my finance committee helped with the budget. 
in the real world, this is how I would do it. I would put the budget together as the CEO, and then I would give it to the committee, the finance committee, and then they would pick it apart in a sort of way, you know, and we would talk about what was membership last year. We would always look at a three-year history. Mm -hmm. And if I wanted to like jump more than like 10% based on, you know, the history, then we would sit down and have a discussion about it. And how were we going to do that? You know, how are we going to jump from zero to a hundred percent? How are we going to do that? What's the plan around that? And so that's how I would introduce new campaigns. Like we never in our organization had an individual giving campaign. Hmm. So very few of our dollars came from individuals. And so that piece was introduced during the budget process. We're starting out with zero. Let's at least say the first year we can do 25,000. Then the next year we can do a hundred, you know, so forth and so on. And those discussions were had in the committee. And then the final budget would be taken to the board and we would discuss like any new opportunities that had to happen as a result of that. Got it. Okay. That's super interesting. Do you think you mentioned something before talking about that you really believed in professional development? This is something that I've been talking a lot about on social media, if anybody knows me or follows me. So how did you encourage board approval to provide that funding for your team? So there's a little trick to that that I would use. Every grant that we wrote, every partnership that we developed that has some financial component to it, we would make sure that professional development was included in that. So for example, okay. if it was, we received money from the office of justice program for mentoring. Well, you know, we don't naturally know how to mentor, you know, or you think you do, but you don't, we would write that into the grant application budget, you know, training for X, Y, Z. We would not specifically yeah. name a conference. So that's a little tip. Don't name a conference, but just put training for mentoring. And that leaves it open to what conference or what opportunity that you want to take advantage of as an organization. That is so so. smart. I would have to think if I was a grantee, no one knows everything, right? obviously. And I learn new things about social media every single day. So I have to continue investing in digital marketing to be able to talk about it. If I was awarding, if I was the funder and I saw in the grant that they wanted to use it to continue learning on the thing that they're asking to do from a program standpoint, that's also brilliant from just probably getting awarded the grant. Right. It worked for us in our organization. And it wasn't just the program people that we wrote into the grant. It was also myself as a CEO, the operations, because we have to, you know, we had to manage or oversee that process. And so we always justified it in, we want to know firsthand. So then that we can support our staff and implementation process. So every grant, like I said, every partnership, anywhere where we got financial support from, whether it was municipality, county, foundation, we wrote in professional development. And it wasn't always professional development as it was program related. Sometimes it was professional development around increasing our fundraising capacity things of that nature that we really, really needed. So those are kind of the opportunities we spent about, I mean, it's not a high percent moving the budget to 2.5 million. We spent about $32,000 a year on professional development. I wish I had it up here to share on LinkedIn. I just did a poll asking people, actually, I think I have it on my phone to give the correct stats. I asked do you think post-college professional development is important for you and your organization to succeed? 
89% said yes. I don't know who these people are that said no, <laughs> but it was like three. <laughs> and then, So knowing that, knowing that 89% feel that it's important. Oh, here it is. I asked then, what is your organization's professional development budget in the nonprofit space? The first one, first category. Sabrina, are you ready for this? Zero dollars. I'm totally on my own was 49%. 30% put that they get 1,000 to 2,500 annually. Not enough. 7% had five to 10 and 14% had 10K annually. Yeah. That is unfortunate because professional development for me and the way I explained it to my board too is it's about limiting liability because if you are not trained and if something happens in your organization, then Mm -hmm. you open yourself up for more liability. Thank God I personally have never had to sit on on a case, but I've had others who've had and they ask you about your professional development. They ask you about how many hours do you you have of training? And so I always saw it as a a liability issue. And thank God my board saw it that way as well. So I I truly believe in order for organization to get better, you have to invest in the people. That is exactly it. To get better, you got to invest because it's a nonprofit industry. The industry is continually changing. Yeah. It really is. With the advent of technology, if you're not out there finding out about apps like Pledge or sites like Pledge and things that you can do. And, you know, the best thing about going to a conference or going to workshops, the content is great. I love the content because I always learn something. But it's networking with people that are in the trenches with you that are experiencing some of the same things that you are experiencing or they've tackled that hurdle. I would get my best fundraising ideas from conferences. You don't make the mistakes that somebody else, somebody else made, right. Or, you know, I'm having this issue with my board. How did you handle it? Or again, thinking that you're in a silo. Oh, it's me. It's just me. When you find out, no, it's everybody, you know, or my favorite was, Someone who says, I have a small budget and you find out their budget is like $10 million and you're looking at them like, shut up. You do not have a small budget. <laughs> like, Let me tell you what a small budget is. But you realize they have the same problems. They're talking to they having the same complaints that you it's have. You know what it is. So, and this just speaks to going off on such a tangent on this, everyone. <laughs> Sorry. But Mallory Erickson and I, we were talking about beforehand. She's a fundraising consultant. She's awesome. We met virtually. And we're small businesses, but we were like, we need to get together. Like we're both vaccinated. We both got COVID tested. We met up. She flew from California. I flew from Atlanta last week and we met up in Salt Lake City and we invested the funds to do that, to sit with each other, to learn. Yep. Like it's totally relational, but then you're learning like, oh my gosh, you were doing this. Oh my gosh. Let's talk about the sector as a whole. And that was unbelievably impactful. Yes. So I digress with this. Sorry, I apologize, but I do truly believe in professional development. I I think that it made a difference in my career and it can make a difference in an organization. So getting off the soapbox, I apologize. (laughs) I wish I had that small budget. Yes. Yes. Yes, Cindy. Agreed. Agreed. So question on recruitment, because I think this is really important because it goes into the approval of finances, like recruiting the right engaging board. And I guess the key word there is actually right board. 
What are your tips on that? So my tips on recruiting the right board members is knowing what you're missing from your board, first of all. And so being very conscious about where you want to go and having a concrete document. And I use the matrix and people can use different things, but literally mapping out who is on your board, what they represent as far as industry, what they represent as far as are they strategic in nation, are are they visionary, are they a consensus builder, representing other demographics like race, age. And more importantly for me is, do they have community connections? Are they Mm -hmm. people of affluence? Are they people of influence? Do they have fundraising experience? If they are not people of affluence, are they connected to people of affluence? And just really mapping it out and seeing where my gaps are and then recruiting towards my gaps, right? And having a process in place uh, as far as recruitment. So knowing the gaps, right? That's one. I have these gaps and then sharing those gaps with the board. Of course, we did the gaps together, but sharing it with the board and making them very aware, hey, we have this many vacancies or this vacancy, but this is what we're looking for. Yeah. And do you know anyone that fits that criteria? And then connecting that individual to the organization and going through an interview process or several individuals, because the conversation needs to be had that we have a vacancy on our board and we are looking at several options to fill that vacancy. Would you consider your name being added to that list? Mm -hmm. That's very different from, Hey, I serve on this board and we have this vacancy come serve with me. It's way more intentional. (laughs) Right. And so having that intentionality behind it and having that in process, we've been burnt as a board. I've been burnt. Let me tell you how we used to do it. Um, (laughs) This is a true life story. So I'm a Rotarian and we had this fabulous Rotarian that was really dedicated to Rotary and was awesome board member at Rotary. And we thought she's so awesome over here. Let's steal her and put her on our board. And we did without an interview process, without, we suspended our process. We thought we have us something here, right? And it was a complete disaster. No affinity towards our mission at all. I was a youth serving organization. Should have known that a person who was in their late seasoned years with no kids might not like kids. (laughs) That was a conscious choice on their part to put them in a youth serving organization. They didn't like it. It didn't work out. So don't suspend your process for anyone. Even when you're thinking, oh my God, we're getting away with this. Like we're getting this awesome person. If there's no affinity towards the mission, that's what the process is there for to determine before you make those mistakes. So there's also something to that you said that that was interesting is to recruit all different types of people with backgrounds and experiences, I think is huge. I was talking to an organization recently that serves uh, high school, college age youth, and they were trying to tap into that age. And I was like, well, do you have someone that age on your board? And, and they were like, well, no, I didn't think about that. <laughs> so it's like, you should bring in all levels of generations because mm-hmm. That's going to affect how you decide to fundraise, the events that you do, your met, like literally everything, right? depending on who you're trying to attract to be either who you support 
and then who you're trying to bring in as donors too. Yes, yes. And I think it's critical. A little bit about me and where I live. So I live along the Texas-Mexico border and I'm 20 miles from Mexico and the population is like 97% Hispanic. And so when I'm looking at board diversity and things like that, it really is a conscious effort when 97% of your population is Hispanic when it comes to racial diversity. And so we had to look at it a little bit differently. We had to look at it as far as industry diversity. We had to look at it as far as age diversity, what type of personality and characteristics that they bring to the table. And when you look at it like that, when you change your perspective of what diversity is, I think it allows you to look at the breadth of what we should be talking about when we're talking about diversity. Because even in Texas, girl, I did not have anybody from the ranching industry on my board. I said, how did we miss that? But it took us to stop and pause and say, what are we missing? We were missing someone from the oil industry, which you would think would be very obvious in Texas and the ranching industry. But we really literally had to stop and map it out and say, what are we missing? And it's a very then, conscious effort. Yeah, very, very. And then uh, we went to the Kresge Foundation for money and they looked at our board diversity as well. I don't know how this happened, but at one point we were a board of a lot of women. And then all of a sudden we became a board of just three women and a lot of men. So you have to consciously yeah. all time look and tweak and it was the Kresge Foundation who pointed it out to us. There's a marketing channel that we use every single day yet it hasn't really become integrated into our marketing strategies yet. I am talking about text messaging aka SMS. SMS open rates are as high as 98% and they produce engagement rates six to eight times higher than email marketing. I personally use Hustle's person-to-person video and text message marketing suite in 2019 when I ran a campaign for an organization looking to encourage women to book mammogram appointments in the DC area. Now, since this is a very sensitive topic, it was really nice to have the ability to send one broadcast message and then respond one-to-one with the tools really needed to humanize communication and build meaningful relationships. So whether you have an upcoming event that you want to generate RSVPs for, want to send a reminder about Giving Tuesday, want to share a thank you message, it is all possible with SMS. I am in the process of setting up my account now to use for Positive Equation, and I want you to try Hustle today too. So use code Positive Equation at hustle.com backslash demo or click the link in the show notes to receive free text messages and video messages for your organization. I was in a situation a couple years ago with this where you just get moving and it's whoever raises their hand to volunteer. We're like, sure. Yeah. Come in. Sure. Yeah. Come in. And you're not even like looking around the room. You're just like in the work in the work until like an outside organization is like, Hey, first time I've met y'all. Yeah. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's like, it's a lot of men here. (laughs) Everyone kind of looks the same, a little familiar. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But you, because you know them, because you're like, yeah. Good people. That's all you're thinking. I love that. So on the flip side, getting a little bit controversial, (laughs) if there are nonprofits that are listening, that might be having issues with their current board. What do you recommend to try and troubleshoot that and get to a resolve? 
So it depends on what kind of issues. I always start with my bylaws. And hopefully in your bylaws, you have a way to remove board members if it's truly about something that can't be resolved. Like they're not coming to meetings. You know, most bylaws say if you miss three consecutive meetings, then your board have the option to vote you out. Things of that nature, things that are addressed in your bylaws. And then the next level is you have to determine Really, is it a difficult personality that you're working with or is it a toxic board member? Mm. You know, you, you cannot like someone that does not really give you grounds to get rid of, them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they just difficult personality. And that's up to your board chair to kind of manage. And hopefully your board chair is strong enough to manage that. If it's a toxic personality, I always say you, the CEO and the board chair has to be on the same page and you just have to manage that toxic board member out the door. And usually how you manage them out the door is you make sure that you guys are on the same page. You make sure that you and your executive committee or your nomination committee is on the same page and you introduce something that you know they're not going to like. Like 100% of board members have to give. Or, you know, or whatever it is that they're on the opposite end of the issue are, you put that in place and they'll probably remove themselves is the way I say how to exit a toxic board member. And then, um, yeah, yeah, exit stage left. Or then there's also, you know, there's also some that they're not in toxic, but they're founding board members and they've been there forever. And this is the way we've always done things. And this is the way we will continue to do things. And you rely on them because of finance. Sometimes you're in that situation. In that particular incident, I always say, make it a celebration, if you can, of their departure. Throw a big party, make them feel great, create an honorary board where they can still come to meetings, but they don't have to vote, but they still feel included. And just, you know, they can't not say that the organization didn't celebrate their contribution. She make it as big as possible. I think that's a great idea for anyone who's leaving a board outside of if there's a problem or if they're wonderful or both Mm -hmm. that they get celebrated on their way out or maybe as a group, if a couple of people are exiting, that's such a fun idea. And then you always have this like warm and fuzzy spot for the organization. I wonder when it comes to recruitment in preventing some of maybe what could be problems. So I know in the like female entrepreneurship space, every mastermind or group I join is really big into understanding. And they ask for your like Enneagram number or your human design. (laughs) I don't know if those have been brought into like, an application, like if you're going to be a board member, but what do you think about that? I don't think that's a bad idea. I have not done it. I will be very honest, but that's actually not a bad idea. I like to do strength finders to just to kind of see where yeah. people are. Are they activators? Are they planners? Are they this? And I use that with my leadership team, not necessarily with board members. That would be interesting. I try to use just in managing my board and trying to get the best out of them, the languages of love. You know, are they physical touch? Are they volunteer? I use that in the background of working with my board to know how to engage them. Do they like the hands-on stuff? I had a board member. He loved being at all the events and interacting with the kids. So I made sure everybody knew about everything. But with him, I would make an extra effort to let him know. Um, I had board exercise activity, like at the beginning, like when everybody's like kicking off the year or something. It would be. It would be. I think that that would 
get things, a conversation started. It could be like the generative question at the end of your board meeting to get that conversation started. I think that would be excellent, actually, because we used to tend to focus so much on fundraising, 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 and use that time for that. But this might help you. Now my mind is going. This might help you determine what is the best fit for yes. role for fundraising for that particular board member. Because I think that each board member should have a role. And for me, fundraising is not about making the ask. Because to me, that's only 5% of fundraising. And so for me, fundraising is 20% is identifying and qualifying the donor. And then 60% is cultivation. is making the ask and then 15% is the thank you piece. So if you did something like that, my mind is working as we're speaking, (laughs) you could really say who's going to be the best, who would serve better as a door opener on our board to introduce. I think you might have a new workshop. I know. I'm, I'm thinking I might. I'm like, ooh, this could work. You this know? is literally because everyone loves to learn about themselves. Let's be real. Right? I like to know. Everyone likes to know about themselves. And it could honestly, whatever the answers are, it leads into their professional work too. And then it, I bet you they could do the same thing with their team. I think this would be a good idea, even as a part of a board retreat or like you said at the beginning of the year, because, you know, you need all those different components to engage your yeah. board in fundraising. And wouldn't it yeah. I always say lean into what their strengths are mm-hmm. to get over the fact like if people won't ask for money, who cares? It's only 5% of fundraising. But if they're going to be a great mm-hmm. cultivator or a great yeah. thinker or a great door opener, that's where you need to lean into. And those types of tests and will help you determine so much that. more comfortable. Yes. In that role. In that role. And they will excel in that role. And that will help you raise more money and engage them because they're in their comfort. Oh and, my God, please yeah. teach on this. I will. This is good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I serve on a board too. And I think I might pilot it with my board and then we go from there. I know, me too. We were just talking about, <laughs> Ray just mentioned he likes the idea of an honorary board, which is another yes. great idea when yes. somebody's moving on so they yes. can still feel like a part of it. I thought that was great. I just could talk to you for days about new ideas and like how we evolve this space because I think so many different areas within the nonprofit sector are evolving. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that is a generational change and yes. shift. But so board fundraising... What have you seen work and not work? Well, I'll start off since we kind of already kind of went down the conversation. What I'll start off is with this. Don't disregard people because of the fear of the five. And the fear of the five is only 5% of fundraising is making the ask. Out of a board of 21, I think I had like maybe two or three fearless women who are not afraid to ask for money. For me as the CEO or the ED, I always felt like, okay, at the end of the day, I get paid to do a job. Granted, I'm passionate about the mission. I'm passionate about everything, but still at the end of the day, I get paid to do a job. So I will make the ask. If it makes others feel uncomfortable, that is what I will do. However, 
I'm not going to make an ask on my own. So I would always bring a board member with me because that board member lends credibility to the process of making the ask. They lend credibility because they are a volunteer. They are not getting paid to be there. They believe in the mission and they lend credibility to that process. And they are there to say, I am passionate about the organization. I too give to this organization. And ultimately the ask will, will you consider a gift of $5,000 to my organization comes from me. That's the one sentence. So they're there to be, you know, to lend that credibility. So don't disregard people because of the fear of the five. A lot of people do that. They think, well, my board members don't help because they don't ask for money or they won't do this or whatever. There are so many ways that a board member can contribute to the fundraising process outside of that 5%. So again, 20% is opening the door, identifying and qualifying donors. I had a board member who said, I will never ask for money. And I was okay with that because I understood this fundraising process. So I asked, what would you be willing to do? And she said, I'll introduce you to whoever you want me to introduce you to. So she was my door opener. And because she was my door opener and that was where she was at. And that's, that's where, a crucial role. Yeah, that's a crucial role. She raised over a million dollars with never asking for money. She introduced me to the bank owner, not the bank president, but the bank owner. Who had a private because plane. they knew her. Yes. And it comes down to trust. They trust. trusted her. Mm-hmm. So therefore, any introduction is already going to be wonderful. Exactly. So I, she lended her trust to me. And I, it was up to me and our organization to ensure that we kept that trust. And as a result of that relationship and that introduction, of course, we had to steward it and cultivate it and all that. But that bank owner flew us to the Maybe Foundation in Oklahoma and we walked away with a $250,000 check because when they told me (laughs) this is what happened. So we were in the middle of a capital campaign and we applied to the Maybe Foundation and we didn't get it. And let me tell you all my CEOs out there, I cried. I did. I didn't know how we were going to do it. I was like, oh my God, we need this gift because in a capital campaign, you had to have a certain foundation who would then open up the door for another foundation and they like to come in at different times in the process. And so I said, oh God, it's over. It's just over. And so they said, why don't we fly up there, you know, to talk to him? And I said, okay. And I thought, let me start making flight arrangements and do it. Cause that's, that's the circles I roll in. You know, we go commercial, we go American United. That's what we do. He kind of looked at me. He says, I have a plane. And I was like, oh, okay. So the Capital Campaign co-chair, chair myself, and the bank president flew up to Oklahoma and we did a presentation and we walked out with a $250,000 check. And then, you know, that bank then appointed the bank president as the co-chair for the Capital Campaign. And they also appoint two board members to my board who have to raise $5,000 each. So if you start adding up everything that she was able to provide to the organization without asking, without yeah. asking for a dime. It's over millions of dollars. So that's why I say lean into their strengths. And then you have those that, like me, I love relationships. 60% of fundraising 
is building relationships. It's cultivating. It's getting people to come and do tours of your organization. It's taking them out to lunch or breakfast or dinner. It's dropping by their office and saying, hey, I know you collect A, B, and C. I saw A, B, and C at the store. Here you go. It's all of that piece which I love. And you have other board members who love that part. And that's 60%. And then you have that 5%, which is the ask, which like I said, it's the fear of the five that every most people are afraid of. We talked about that. And then you have that 15% that's recognition. And thank you. We are horrible as nonprofit sectors and saying thank you. And I'm, I have not quite put my hand on why we are horrible. I think sometimes it's because you like, oh, we got the gift. Now we just need to leave them alone. Let them rest, you know? <laughs> we were afraid to talk to them. Put it away, you know? We don't, want to, we don't want to take it out and play with it. I don't know what it is, but we're very bad at doing that stewardship and cultivation. So if you have board members who can pick up the phone and call and engage them and say thank you. Give, I'm just thinking about like, when you give, you feel good yes. about giving right? There's an endorphin rush that happens with that. And so if it's fresh in my mind that I gave, it's smarter for you to maybe come to me sooner about a second gift with a very like specific relevant ask Mm -hmm. because you're top of mind to me. Yes, And I just had that really good feeling about supporting you. So that's super interesting. You said that Cindy asked, our board only does a board give of a thousand per year. If some of them can afford more, what do you think about a sliding scale? Believe it or not, our board minimum was $500. That's at minimum. That's what you had to get, which is lower than yours. So what we eventually changed to, and as some pros and cons to this, because with this new board that I'm serving on, we said give at the capacity that you feel comfortable with because we didn't want someone who could give $1,000 to give $500 and so Mm. forth and so on. However, what I have learned is give an amount. This is from my experience only. I say specify an amount because what will happen and what I've seen happen is you're forcing people to, to make a decision and sometimes people don't make decisions. And that's happened to me on that this goes back board. to that strength test. Yes. <laughs> it goes back to that strength test. And that happened on this new board. I was like, okay, let me embrace this idea of not setting a minimum and just say, give at your significant ability. Well, out of the five board members, some gave different amounts, but there was one person, one or two people who didn't give at all. And it wasn't because they didn't want to give. I reached out to them and they was like, tell me an amount to give. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. You're one of those. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think the sliding scale would necessarily work. People just want to be told what to do. Yeah. I heard recently, actually the organization I used to work for in Sarasota, Florida, their board rises to the occasion when there's specific needs. Mm. So it's like, Hey, as a board, we are going to take care of fulfilling this thing that we need. And it's $10,000 or $20,000, whatever it is. And we are in agreement that we are going to come together and we are going to give to that yes. by whatever yes. means necessary. Yeah. And that's a really cool way of also drawing back and focusing back on the impact of the organization. And it gives you some like, like I helped as a team to make this thing happen. And that's really powerful. Yeah, that is powerful because then it's like funding a need. Yeah. And they know exactly what that need is as opposed to, although, you know, funding operations, we do need that, but 
it makes them have an impact of funding the need. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Sabrina, I could talk to you all day and I would love, we need to have another like conversation on things, but how can people connect with you? How can they find you? How can they learn more from your wonderful wisdom and check out this new workshop you're going to do on strengths testing and finding with your board? (laughs) Well, I'm going to get one call to action because that's the way they said, don't give too much because people get lost. If you go to my website, www.supportingworldhope.com, you will find my email, my Facebook, my LinkedIn, everything in one location. So again, www.supportingworldhope.com worldhope.com. Everyone can go there and show her some love. Give her some emojis, claps. If you love this interview, thumbs up, hearts, whatever you got. I love having guests on. And Sabrina, you are a gem in the space and so full of knowledge. So thank you so much for joining me today. And in the midst of everything, especially going on in the world, it's nice yes. to see a friendly face and have some laughter and good conversation. So it I, really is. I appreciate you. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for being here. I'll see you soon. Yes, ma'am. Can you tell I love talking all things digital? To make this show better, I'd be so grateful for your feedback. Leave a review, take a screenshot of this episode, share it on Instagram stories, and tag Positive Equation with one E so I can reshare and connect with you.